Santa? Oh, yes, little girl. What's your name? Jenny. And Santa, I don't want any gifts this year. I just want everything to be okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay, Jenny. Jenny, listen to me. I know that things seem particularly insane right now. Like, truly, mind-bendingly insane. And we seem to have lost all perspective on what's naughty or nice. I know. I've seen Fox News. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but as bad as things might seem, I promise you, Jenny, it will be okay. Okay? Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not for another three years, 42 days, and 24 minutes, Jenny, but <laughs> most people in America are good people, and eventually, good people will fix our country. Okay, good. But just in case, I'm putting all my money in Bitcoin. Oh, that's, that's the spirit. Now, do you remember what Santa always says? Yes. Do you want to say it with me? Okay. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and life in New York is Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 8 of SNL with host James Franco and musical guest SZA. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and disgraced former senator Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, James Franco! Okay, so we are light on SNL news this week, so let's just jump right into the episode recap. Yeah, let's get to it. Cold open. A mall Santa hears the Christmas wishes of some politically informed youngsters. Good way to start the show. I had fun with this. It was uh, it was a pretty solid cold open, and um, it was refreshing to see. It wasn't... Uh, you know, sit in the White House or, or anything like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it had a pretty good message to it as well. Yeah, it was uh, fun for a change of scenery. It's always fun to bring kids into the mix because you never quite know how that's going to go. Obviously, we had a few little mishaps with uh, the <laughs> delivery of their lines, but uh, we can be more forgiving because they're kids and they're adorable and they're saying provocative things. So you're already having a lot of fun, even if it's a bit of a mess. So I enjoyed this too. Anytime I see a child or an animal show up on SNL, I start to get a little bit nervous. Right. Like we had that Sphinx cat go nuts in Kate McKinnon's arms. <laughs> yeah. Now we got these kids, you know, mumbling and forgetting their lines. I imagine their auditions went a lot better than the actual performance. Yeah, these are obviously stage kids. They have winning smiles, but yeah, you put them you put them on live TV under the the bright lights and you never quite know what you're going to get. So, <laughs> we just have to be willing to roll with it when we see these sort of things and enjoy it for what it is. I love it when they take risks. I love it when they change up the cold open. Yeah. I- I'm counting this one as a win. Yeah, and I just thought of how similar it all was to Vanessa Bayer's uh character <laughs> on Weekend Updates. Yep. Uh forget the name, but you know the one I'm talking about. And that's in the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, what's her name? I saw her live. She she performed that on the Octavia Spencer show. It was the last time she did it. Why can't I remember her name? Ah, whatever. Okay. This isn't making for great radio. So um, uh, anything else to say on the cold open? That's it. All right. Let's move on. Nobody wrote James Franco a monologue. It's fun to see a few cameos pop up. Uh, monologues often where you see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we had a couple of generations of uh, friends of the show. So it's really fun. And uh, 
kind of noticed James Franco uh, had very little screen time in his own monologue. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the least of any other host this year. Yeah, most likely. I thought this was amusing, but I was actually feeling kind of awkward a little bit with it. I, I felt like there was something off about maybe their energy or their delivery. It seemed like uh, maybe it wasn't terribly well rehearsed on the part of the cameo participants. Uh, so I was just feeling it was a little shaky sure, and uh, that pulled me out a little bit. So I think my takeaway is it was serviceable. It was amusing, but it didn't really rouse me. There wasn't anything that I considered terribly special or, or just engaging nothing that really like perked me up and, and got me excited for the show. And that's always what I, I hope for from the monologue. So uh, I'm not counting this one as a win. I just, I feel it was just a little lackluster. Yeah. I did get a sense that maybe they were using stand-ins for the rehearsal yeah, as opposed to Jonah and, and Seth. That was probably their first run at it. If they were, sketch performers if that was their thing they could have probably rolled with it a bit better mm-hmm. yeah it needed a bit of oiling i think it was a bit squeaky but steve martin the the natural that he is he could just chew glass in the background for all i care and i'll enjoy watching it sure yeah he he sold his lines but that was also something that i wasn't really won over by uh just because there was a little bit of truth to kind of what he was goofing on about him not really being relevant it's been a long time since he hosted and i felt like that was odd subject matter for Steve Martin to tackle. So again, even though it was kind of amusing and he always sells it, and it was fun that he had like a, a jumbo cola in his hands as though he was at the theater, or, uh, some sporting event or something like, even though everything that Steve Martin does is just a little bit better <laughs> than maybe someone else could pull off. I just didn't feel like his material was terribly fun either. So I just, I don't know, just, yeah, just not really uh, wowed by this one. Yeah. What I did really like was the fact that they put Steve Martin up in the balcony. Sure. Just to, <laughs> it, it sells his, uh, his lack of relevance yes. so much better that he yeah. can't even get good seats at SNL anymore. <laughs> yeah. He can't do his traditional, like walk on to home base, like, whoa, 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 stop the show. He's not even in that category anymore. He's yeah. yeah same as Seth Rogen, where, uh, he has to play the lottery to, <laughs> to show up at SNL. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, amusing, but I'm not counting it as a win. Fair enough. I think I liked it better than you, but that's okay. Uh, let's take a look at our first live sketch. We get Beta Corp has a zero tolerance policy for sexual harassment. I thought it was pretty funny, mainly because I could relate to it. Yeah. I've been in jobs where there's been some guys, you know, they're retired and they're you know working part time for a bit of extra money, and they get away with murder. <laughs> And not just like doing the least amount of work, but saying the most inappropriate stuff. And because it's coming out of the mouth of an elderly person, it somehow becomes endearing sure. and, and cute yep. in a way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we laugh it off. And, and this is exactly the phenomenon that they're <laughs> touching on in this sketch for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some truth in the observation that uh, older people are given a pass just because we kind of consider them harmless relics of a simpler era. So yeah, it's fun to see them play that up, but to the degree where the person is completely indefensible, right? Like he's a kidnapper, uh, you know, (laughs) he's a monster of a person, but because he's won them over and he's charming, none of them can see that. Uh, That's amusing. I I thought that that was was fun and I enjoyed this. Yeah. And it's still kidnapping if you you give them back. (laughs) Apparently. Uh, Keenan does a really good job of selling it. Just the mirth that he has in reveling in his debauchery is uh it's amusing so yeah i think this sketch could have fallen flat without keenan there in the mix i think he's the one that makes this one work yep for sure all right moving on 
We get another live sketch. Don provides some exceptional customer service at Bloomingdale's gift wrapping station. This is a spiritual child of Dan Aykroyd's Julia Child sketch from the very early days of the show, but also a tried and true formula, the the gross out sketch. There's nothing smart here. It's just let's bathe everybody in in some sort of uh, human fluid and uh, hope that everyone has a fun ride. Uh, Did you have a fun ride? Did you buy into this? As much as I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can't deny that this is a common staple of sketch comedy. But yeah, it's funny because it just it keeps escalating into this absurdity. Uh, the more blood that sprays out of him. <laughs> sure. And the more limbs he loses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, while I was enjoying it, I personally don't find much humor in gore and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Sure, like slapstick rake in your face, that kind of stuff is funny to me. But yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, I'm not queasy. Like I watch horror movies and stuff, but it's definitely not something I find hilarious to watch. All right. If that makes sense. Yeah, this isn't the kind of subject matter that just ropes you in. You can maybe appreciate what they're trying to do, but it just doesn't really speak to you. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And uh, I mean, everybody was great at it. And I think they had some creative beats to go with that tried and true formula. So (laughs) it's a win for what it is. Yeah, I will say that Leslie looked a little bit put off there when she took a shot of blood directly (laughs) into her mouth. (laughs) Do you think that might have been... uh... (laughs) A rewrite last minute? I don't know if it was a rewrite, but I know that she wasn't expecting to swallow a bunch of blood because after the show, she um, she put out a little video on uh, Instagram or Twitter or somewhere where her and James Franco are talking about how she didn't expect to take it right in the mouth and she threw up a little bit in the moment. And that's why she's like pacing around the set, kind of hacking a little bit, holding her throat, like really pulled out of the moment. When I first watched it, I thought, oh, this is some exceptional performance work from Leslie. Like, she (laughs) really looks put off. But no, she was just really gagging in the minute, doing her best to hold it together. So, (laughs) fun little behind-the-scenes insight there. Yeah, it it was pretty convincing. Yeah. Sounds like it was method acting in the end. (laughs) Yeah, as close as Leslie can get to method acting, this is what we probably saw. (laughs) So... This was fun. Uh, you, you said it all. You know, there's nothing really brilliant here. This is uh, very well-tread territory, but I found it amusing. It was a mess. Like, some of the gags didn't hold up. Uh, like, his foot fell off before he had a chance to cut it. And, like, th- this was a mess, and everyone was breaking. And there was just, there's nothing from a performance or, like, sketch structure standpoint that you can point to and say this is brilliant. But it just seemed like goofy fun for the players to... Uh, get caught up in and and for that i enjoyed the ride yeah it started to fall apart when they got to like the cutting the leg off thing because that you can't even make that look like an accident yeah (laughs) (laughs) now you're just deliberately harming yourself and uh, that's really hard to buy it seemed like the premise of this was can we take the gross out sketch and can we just turn it up to 11 like how far can you take the cutting your finger gag and i think it worked in the sense that it's fun to watch a mess, but I don't think it worked as a, a technical achievement of any kind. So <laughs> this is one of those sketches where you just, you got to just take it for what it is. <laughs> not, yeah. not dig too deep. Cause there's nothing else there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's take a look at our first pre-tape. Scrudge refuses to learn the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah. This is what we expect from the good neighbor guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a win or not, I find myself scratching my head as much as laughing when they put on these types of videos. It's definitely in the same vein as the office race and that kind of, you know, surrealism. Sure. 
I'm I'm enjoying that, and and I'm I'm glad that they're getting the chance to to put out some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely counting this one as a win. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, Beck's character was very well realized; like his dialogue was really sharp. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny to put these modern quips into the mouth of someone who's speaking in that old timey kind of parlance. I thought that was a lot of fun. The costuming was great. Obviously the contrast of putting someone out of time into this modern youth scenario and seeing him be the privileged jerk character. I just thought that was a a, a fun little spin on the whole Scrooge idea. And again, you know, holiday theme. So appropriate for this type of show Uh, with a fun ending. I felt like this was a really perfect way to, to wrap up the sketch where you think that he's had this change of heart, this epiphany that he's going to be a new person. And then no, it was all just a long con to win everyone over so that he can stick it to them just one more time. That's smart. Yeah. I did like the fact that no lessons were learned. Nobody changed. Exactly. It was, it was just a one big fake out. And that really is the brilliance of it is that it didn't go for the obvious pull on the heartstrings, change a heart moment that they subverted that. And uh, you don't get your Christmas Carol ending. And I thought that's really good. Yep. Nice little twist, which they like to do in some of their shorts. Absolutely. Moving on. We get another live sketch. Iowa City Public Radio broadcast live from the 2017 All District Spelling Bee. Interesting sketch. Had a lot of um, good stuff working for it. We had Kate and Alex who I think are a great duo. Mm -hmm. Always love the stuff they do. That Morning Joe sketch they did together was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I enjoy their chemistry, so pairing those two up as the commentators was really good. Mm -hmm. This whole sketch was making me laugh. I I really like the bubbling under the surface kind of uh, (laughs) tension to my humor. That's really my bag right there. So obviously (laughs) I was having a lot of fun with this one. Yep. I thought it was a really, really great sketch and and well-written, exceptionally well-written. Like his dialogue... The way that each time it went around, it became more bizarre and illuminated some new aspect of this guy's deal. I thought that that was just really sharp and just polished dialogue and well-delivered by James Franco too. This was the first sketch where I thought he really shined uh, and showed why the show likes having him back and why he can come to play. So this really had me grinning. I thought this was great. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about SZA. She performed The Weeknd and Love Galore. What's your hot take on SZA? This is new for me. Yep. I like to discover music on SNL, and oftentimes I deliberately don't uh, research any bands that I haven't heard of yet, mm-hmm. so that it's my first experience with the act. Right. And that's what I did with SZA, and I'm glad I did, because I got to see her for what she is, and I enjoyed myself with it. It's not my, I'm not like an R&B guy, but I can appreciate it, just like any other form of music. A nice uh, mise-en-scene on stage with the uh, piles of televisions and, and the choir. And uh, she looked great. Loved her hair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She was adorable, but I think she needs to fire her seamstress because whoever's sewing her sweaters is doing a terrible job. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if she was putting her arms and legs in the right places. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that that is a hip fashion trend that we're just not tuned into, but it was a, a little bizarre to see such a random configuration of fabric trying desperately to cover her (laughs) for for network television. (laughs) 
that was probably the most amusing part of the performance for me. Uh, I liked it. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it, but I'm not even going to begin to pretend that I have any insights other than it was cool to see some like brass and woodwinds and flute and stuff for the, the first song and gospel choirs are always a win. So I don't know. This was charming, but I'm just, I'm not the person to ask. I enjoyed it. <laughs> don't know what else yeah, to say. <laughs> sure. I think that's as much as two old white guys can talk about SZA. Yeah. Let's take a look at Weekend Update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che discuss how Trump has solved the Middle East. What did you think of the opening salvo this week? Did you think there was some good material there? Some decent material. It was a, it was a bit of a slow start. Yeah. There was a couple of hiccups and uh, misspoken lines. Right. That happens for sure. It's live television. Yeah. That's really where performances have to sell the material is that Weekend Update, so it's it's much more glaring. Sure. When their screw ups done with those lines. Yeah. It's just you full frame in the camera. So every little misbeat is going to be amplified. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the last couple of weeks, there was some shaky moments in the opening run, but they had enough strong material that it's still a win just because there's enough really good jokes that you're won over by it. But it definitely wasn't like the best, most flowy, natural execution of the material that we've seen from them. So yeah, maybe maybe a little room to to tighten up, but overall I had a lot of fun with it. Yes. That's how I feel as well. Yeah. What'd you think of Kathy Ann? Cecily's back to discuss Congress sexual harassment allegations. Did we want to see Kathy Ann again? Sure. Let's keep Kathy Ann around. Okay. At this point, Cecily can just put on that character like a hat. Yeah. So why not? I mean it's a good vehicle for talking about current events. Mm-hmm. Uh it gives an approachable voice because of the simple way or the unpolished way she presents herself, she could put things in very simple terms that demystify all the complexities of the issues we have. Yeah. It's a no nonsense reading of current events. There's no pretense with Kathy Ann and that's what makes it amusing. I was happy to see Kathy Ann. I'm surprised because we got a lot of her last year. And at a certain point I was feeling like they're trying to up her game each time she comes out so that she can have one of those big, like truth bomb moments. That's going to just make the audience gasp. Yeah. And I felt like they were running out of ways to make Kathy Ann bigger each time. And it was starting to feel a little played out. I felt like this time worked better because I don't think they really went for that. I think they're just letting Kathy Ann be Kathy Ann and letting it live in the little jokes. Yeah. The little disturbing things she says about her lifestyle and her activities and just the, (laughs) the disaster that is her existence. Just, playing in that a little bit more rather than trying to have it build to something fantastic, I think actually serves it a little bit better at this point because you can't get back that first run with Kathy Ann where she surprises you. You just can't have that moment again. So why try? And I I felt like this was a win just because I I felt like they actually just uh, took it easy, like just made it a little bit more simple and straightforward and and, uh, it worked. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So let's take a look at our second feature. Michael Che goes undercover as a white woman named Gretchen. We step out of the weekend update desk to do a pre-tape that seems to harken back to white like me from the Eddie Murphy era. What'd you think of this? Was this brilliant or was this a, a pale shadow of what's come before pale pun intended pale. (laughs) If I'm going to compare it to white like me, that's almost not even fair. That's such a classic. And it was, uh, Definitely relevant then and now. Sure. And we get, yeah, kind of a more lazy version of it, I guess. <laughs> Which fits for Che, right? Like, you can't expect him to apply himself to anything because he's just, you know, a, a go-along, get-along kind of jerk. <laughs> yeah. But 
when I tune into Weekend Update, I don't want to see a, a pre-tape for half of their uh, time. Okay. There were some good bits. Like, I found it funny when people were going along with this so easily. Like, it was just so absurd. Sure. And it had some funny moments where people recognized them. <laughs> yeah, Chris Red's the only one with the, like, black dar insight to be able to cut through the mask. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I enjoyed that. But yeah, I, I, I like my news pieces and I like my panel guests and okay. it just doesn't feel like Weekend Update. It feels like just another pre-tape that could be anywhere in the show, basically. All right. Well, I wasn't feeling that because I, I feel like Weekend Update has a long history of pre-tape, man-on-the-street, undercover segments. They haven't leaned heavily on it in the modern era, but I feel like this felt like the kind of SNL that I was used to growing up where they would mix it up every now and again with a pre-tape. So I didn't feel it was out of place and I didn't mind them stepping away from the desk. If the piece had fallen really flat, then maybe I'd be whining a little bit more saying, why don't you just give us a few more one-off desk jokes? But I felt it was a pretty strong piece. So because I was having fun with it, I'll, I'll forgive the change up in format. I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I I don't have anything great to say about it. I, I, I don't think it was shooting to be terribly smart. It was just, let's put Che in a, blonde wig and have a little bit of absurd fun with it. And, and for that, I think they really pulled it off. Yeah. I'm halfway there with you. Okay. Not a full 100% win. All right. Maybe like a a 70% win. Okay. All right. Well, that's still pretty good then. I mean, that's probably as good as any feature they could have filled that spot with. So (laughs) yeah, I'll take it back half of the show. We get a live sketch in a murder trial. Mr. Reynolds Zaw alibi doesn't hold up under cross-examination. What do you make of this one? Sounds like someone wanted to win an argument mm-hmm. in the writer's room. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is what comedians do. They they talk about the most random stuff and just riff on it. If you get two comedians together, they could talk about an orange that's sitting on the table for at least an hour and a half yeah. and not repeat themselves. They can get a tight five on oranges. Sure. I gotcha. They can get a tight five <laughs> easily. Yes. So I'd say some people were having a grand discussion about it in the, in the back room and it became this sketch. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's probably it. It probably is a sit around at the pub or whatever. And this kind of minutia takes over the conversation and someone decides to parlay it into a sketch. And uh, I'll say this was a win. I thought Franco really sold it. I thought it was a fun observation and to its credit, it didn't stay too long. So uh, yeah, this worked for me. Yeah. It was kind of funny that he had the ace in the hole with the incriminating (laughs) photo. He didn't have to do any of that, but since he knew he was going to win, he was like, Oh, let's see what I can get away with here. It is fun that, yeah, they had that little reveal at the end where he gets a little bit smug. Like I had this thing won the whole time. So yeah, even a little bit better that they found a fun way to get out of the sketch. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Next up, we get another pre-tape. Cecily shows a seemingly homeless man some Christmas charity. This was pretty funny. It doesn't go for laughs. It kind of plays the long game on this one. Mm-hmm. It actually plays like, you know, one of those uh, Mormon commercials that used to come on. Sure. Yeah. All those PSA life lessons they put out. Like it yep. felt like that's what they were doing. They kept it up until that reveal at the end. And Cecily is so good at playing like the business type. She could sell that mm-hmm. authoritative energy. So the two of them together was great. Yep. Yep. This was good. 
I like Cecily. I thought she was perfectly cast in this. It's fun that it wasn't just the misunderstanding of James Franco not being legitimately homeless, but they build in this whole B plot where she's kind of having an awakening. Like she's having kind of like a life affirming moment that's causing her to reevaluate her own values. And she's like discarding her work life and embracing charity. And it's this huge, like personal growth thing that she's experiencing. And then it all comes crashing down at the end. I felt that that was really delicious how they built to that. Yeah, for sure. I always enjoy it when they do the location shooting right outside of 30 rock and you get all the trappings of Midtown in frame. Uh, you, you see a lot of Rockefeller Plaza and the ice rink and uh, the Atlas statue and all the other stuff that they've got going on down around radio city. Uh, I love it when they shoot down there just because that's a, a familiar and fun part of New York that I'm smitten by. And uh, I just love to see it on film. And that just made this even a little bit more fun for me personally. Yeah. It's one of the most uh, recognizable blocks in the world. I'd say. Yep. All right. Moving on 10 to one sketch. Pretty Mandy stops by the Franco family reunion. I thought this was great. Mm -hmm. And that's all due to Heidi Garner keeping up her 10 to one queen status. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's uh, she's spitting fire on her very first season, and yep. it's always great to see. Heidi got lucky where she could prove herself early on. Like, she was given a chance to to do something that was a hit on the show. Mm-hmm. It's becoming uh, more and more of a safe bet to give her some screen time. Yeah, I'm not going to chalk it up to just luck on Heidi Gardner's part. She is definitely the front runner, but it's not just because she was walking down the hallway and, you know, some writer went, hey, Heidi, we got a part for you. A lot of this stuff that she's getting on air, this is her stuff. These are her characters. This is her, uh, like a material, her like audition caliber material that is just strong enough that it's translating to air really well. So I think this is an indication first of why the show saw value in her. I think they saw that she does the kind of comedy that plays really well on SNL, but I think it's gotta be a credit to Heidi for workshopping and then, you know, honing these characters and getting them to the point where they are home runs every time we see them. So I think that she deserves the praise for that. I I don't think that luck has anything to do with it. Uh, It is nice to see that the other guys are in the running. I think Chris Red's running a close second now, if we're keeping score and at least Luke Knoll's in the race. Uh, But I think Heidi, like you mentioned, she's still the (laughs) the 10 to one queen and she is the one that seems to be getting the most uh, screen time at this point on the show. So But what about the actual sketch? So, you know, enough on Heidi. Where's the brilliance here? The brilliance, I guess, is, you know, having James Franco and Dave as well uh, playing themselves in this and uh, kind of being challenged by (laughs) someone more rough around the edges. It it reminded me a lot of that mad TV character that Keenan-Michael Key used to do. Okay. Where he'd he'd always say they were taking it to a whole nother level. (laughs) Sure. Yep. If you remember that guy. Yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah. And his whole stick was to just annoy celebrities and ask stupid questions that they probably are sick of answering. And they're trying to act polite, but also very obviously uncomfortable. Right, right. That was very reminiscent of what I was seeing in this sketch. Yeah. Yeah. I think the fun of this is that in Pretty Mandy's mind, she is the alpha. Like she's the one who feels that she needs to protect and take care of everyone else in her family. Whereas James Franco is a bonafide movie star who doesn't need help from anyone. You know, (laughs) he's got a solid career, money in the bank, looks and charm. He's got everything going for him. And this frumpy 
miscreant family member feels like she needs to shepherd him and save him from the disaster that she feels (laughs) he's headed for. Uh, I think there's some genius in that. I think that's a really fun concept to explore. And uh, I was getting a little bit of Frondi from it. You know, you were seeing some mad TV there. I was seeing Fred Armisen's Frondi from the um, uh, Ben Affleck episode. Where Frondi, I think he's like a mental patient or something in the oh, right. sitting room of a mental hospital. Yeah. And was it Geely he was talking about? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So Ben Affleck comes in and Frondi is just tearing him apart with these kind of like unintentionally passive aggressive cutting <laughs> comments just kind of over his shoulder. And it's just really fun to see a character that you would consider completely irrelevant. Like they couldn't possibly have anything to bring to the conversation and they're just owning these <laughs> megastars. Uh, that's fun. That's a lot of fun and uh, fun for Heidi to figure out how to repurpose another one of her characters to, to uh, serve that premise. I, I really thought this was good. Yeah. She's brilliant. Yeah. And that's our episode recap. Let's talk moment of the night. My moment of the night, uh, I think, would be uh, when Scrudge comes out on the roof there, drops an F-bomb at that angel smoking sure. guy. Yeah. Just out of left field and totally unwarranted. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. Because we've already gotten to know him and know that he's like a really big jerk. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they were able to take it one notch further just yeah. by him verbally abusing people that aren't even a threat to him. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. He definitely amped up his smack talk game there. Like it was a really fast run of insults, all kind of just thrown at the angel out of nowhere, like out of left field. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun for my moment of the night. I'm going with James Franco spinning fake blood directly into Leslie Jones mouth and the ensuing revulsion that (laughs) she expresses throughout the rest of the sketch. This was a fun moment not necessarily because of any brilliance in the writing, but just because you never know what's going to happen in the live moment. And Leslie didn't know it was coming. She didn't know how to react when she starts throwing up a little bit and she's forced to just have to walk it off and kind of grunt her way through the rest of the sketch. And that was a lot of fun to watch, but even more fun now knowing that, no, this, there was nothing scripted about this. This was just Leslie desperately trying to keep her composure uh, to get through the sketch. Uh, But yeah, just the fun of it, just the fun of how it actually kind of served the sketch for her to be so put off by that. It just was really a lot of fun. So that's my moment. Great moment. Yeah. What's your sketch of the night? I'm going to give it to the spelling bee. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. If we're talking about, you know, on paper, best sketch, Mm -hmm. I'd say that one reads the best. Yeah. Uh, It is the strongest material that's written. Mm -hmm. And James Franco deadpanned it so well. Yeah, there was some performance there for sure. Absolutely. So that's the sketch for me. Yep. It's mine too, for all the same reasons. This was solid writing. His delivery was perfect. So you've got a great collision there of performance meets quality sketch writing. And uh, yeah, you get a really solid sketch end to end. I liked as well how uh, Kate and Alex Moffat had some good interplay there where it's revealed that Alex Moffat may or may not actually know how to spell. (laughs) (laughs) All of that was fun. Yeah, it was just, it it was really well fleshed out. It didn't feel like there was anything rushed or first drafty about it. It just felt like a really solid sketch. So. So worked for me. Yeah. MVP. There was a couple that I was going back and forth on, but I think I'm going to land on James Franco. Yeah. 
Okay. He uh, he was willing to go out on a limb a couple of times. He did a lot of fun stuff. Clearly, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Right. He seems like one of the better ones to work with when it comes to repeat hosts. Mm-hmm. He's always great on the show, and, and this was very ensemble feeling this week. So the one guy that was a constant throughout, that was, that was James, so it's got to go to him. Fair enough. Yeah, I can respect that. He is a capable host, and you saw it very early in the show. I think the... Um I think the spelling bee sketch was really where I perked up and said, Oh yeah, that's right. This guy knows how to do SNL. <laughs> you know, like there was some really, really good performance and, and uh, just some control to his performance there. So yeah, I can respect that. That's definitely a good call. I'm going with Cecily though. I think this was her night. She had a lot of screen time, but a lot of the standout moments as well. So for an actual show player, uh, I feel like this one has to go to her. She got Kathy Ann and it was a good outing for Kathy Ann. She had the uh, Christmas charity pre-tape. She had a lot of moments throughout the night that uh, I think all played really well. So I think it's Cecily this week. That was nearly my pick. Yeah. So you're definitely not wrong. Cool. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? You know, I was really close to giving it a great mm-hmm. because it did have some of the best sketches so far this season. Okay. Pre-tapes were a little underwhelming. Uh, Weekend updates wasn't at its greatest. So that kind of brings it down to a decent for me. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a a pretty pretty fair assessment. Uh, I'm giving it decent too. I felt like this was a bit of a mess at times. Like the cold open obviously had issues because of the complication of bringing in child actors. The monologue I felt was pretty lackluster and uninspired. And, you know, throughout the night there was a few other fumbly moments like uh, <laughs> the the spraying blood sketch uh, was not a technical marvel of execution, but for as much as this show was a mess, it also had really, really solid writing end to end. And earlier in the season, I feel like maybe there was a bit of a deficiency or the sketches just weren't coming together right, or they weren't finding the core of the sketch and really drawing it out the way that I feel like really solid writing should. And for the last couple episodes, I felt like everything's very even. And so I'm very happy to see uh, the show not soaring. You know, this again is not in classic or great territory, but I just feel like there's just nothing I can point at and say, oh, that was dismal or that was bad or that had me groaning uh, other than maybe the monologue. So this show, uh, again, like last week, I felt was pretty even end to end. And for me, that's all I need. This was a, a decent show and I'm happy with that. Yeah. You got anything else to say? I got no other things to say. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our repertory player patrons, Jonathan Jordan and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Kevin Hart and musical guest Foo Fighters. This has been episode number 36 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to SZA, Steve Martin, Dave Franco, Jonah Hill, Seth Logan, Lord Michael, everybody in the cast, players. Happy holidays. Thank you.
Uh, hey man, could I get like a normal word? I'm just reading the cards. Okay, whatever, man. Your word is little pig boy. <laughs> uh, could you use it in a sentence? <laughs> little pig boy. Mistress hates her little pig boy. I am her dirty little pig boy. Please stand on me with your boots on. Little pig boy. Can I get the definition? Little pig boy. He's that pathetic, dirty bitch baby mistress gets to stand on. Little pig boy. Uh, country of origin? Little pig boy comes from the dirt. He's a weasley little mud grub who needs to be stood on. Little pig boy. <laughs>